Welcome to AppEtc, conversations with founders and leaders of product businesses in the Salesforce ecosystem. Today, I'm speaking with Lorenzo Frattini, a friend of mine who I work with at Tequila. Lorenzo is now a certified technical architect and the founder and CEO of Clayton. We use Clayton and Recursive to help our Salesforce development teams review code and build better products faster. Clayton is an AI bot that automatically scans each commit made by developers, identifying vulnerabilities and design flaws in their code so they can fix them early. In this episode, I asked Lorenzo about what he does as a technical founder and CEO of a growing product company, about category creation, educating the market, and why starting your own business is so fulfilling. There are two key things. One is not getting lost in the details, right? So there is the, the delegating at the right point without losing the product of the company or the service or the message that you believe should be right. So you need to, to do a little bit of everything, but at the same time, you don't want to do too much. You don't want to micromanage your people. You don't want to create uh, kind of a, that kind of environment where people are not free to experiment, free to, came up, to come up with their own ideas and, and to just tell you what to do. To do. So I think it's uh, ultimately the, the kind of organization I would like to, to shape is, an organization, is organi- an organization where people tell me what I should be doing and not the other way around. But it's, it's a hard balance because, of course, as a founder, you have very strong opinions about your place, your vision, what you would like to be recognized for, what you believe in. And so that's, a, that's really a difficult uh, balance for me, at least. Now, points around strong opinions is true. As we're growing the business, it's important. We're putting people into roles where they're accountable as part of being accountable is that you know, it's, they have ownership of like what's happening within that department. Something that I'm trying to do more about is defining my opinions like principles, trying to figure out ways of communicating what my opinions are because I'm very opinionated and I'm not great at communicating that. I'm trying to figure out ways of shaping that opinion that can be applied to everything that we're doing, whether it's principles around the product. So Intercom do some, have some amazing content around like product principles. They've got some great things there that I'm learning from, but then generally just around trying to create examples for how we're communicating about the product. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that is great. We started doing something like this as well, especially as we are now figuring out, our communication, our style, our messaging. Marketing is something that we haven't done at all. And we are now starting to do that slowly. We need to experiment and find out what works and also what we want, the way we want to tell our story. And that's a lot of experimentation. Uh, but again, I have, a, I have this idea of what should be the guiding principle in how we do it and the style of communication. And what, especially what I don't want us to be. Uh, but again, I, want, I don't want to be the kind of founder that makes it a nightmare. What you've got there is the, the makings of, a, of structure. This is what we're all about. You've got, like, what is our brand all about? And you yeah. should. Is what, is our, what is our voice? What is our message? 
and then whoever's working can work within the bounds of that. I, I think it's uh, it's spot on. I, again, as a learning organization, as as a startup at the beginning of our journey, we are that's exactly the idea. And but getting to a point where you say, yeah, I think that is working. I think mm-hmm. this approach can now the gears turn without me. Yeah, it's where you want to be. It's hard to tell you are doing things right before. Yeah. But that's uh, that's part of what I like about being a founder. It's the, the kind of the freedom and the, the, the kind of the blank canvas that you have in front of you. And you can do anything. And it's, it's fantastic to have the freedom to do things in, on your terms. Earlier you said that you're, you, you haven't really done marketing, but which I don't necessarily think is true. I, I actually think you've got a, quite a strong brand. Maybe it's not out there as much as it could be, but it's a really strong yeah. brand. And you are very present at developer-focused events, right? So I guess from, from your perspective, what have you been doing sales and marketing-wise in the last couple of years to get you where you are today? And why do you think that suddenly you need to do more marketing? So we, we mainly grow by word of mouth, okay? So we have been building this product that uh, developers uh, like, architects love, and everyone. So it's a weird ecosystem, right? There is a big part of this ecosystem where people are constantly seeking for Salesforce approval or endorsement on something. So there is this big tech and it's amazing, but no one really cares about it until it's either acquired or in some form endorsed. And then everyone cares. And I think Moolsoft is a good example. On the other hand, there is this part that we appeal to, which are the people that are more pragmatic, more open to experiment and are really about getting their job done well and it's it's a broad set of things but there are people who care less about what they're told to and they're more open to try out things and keep what works and discard what doesn't and with with that kind of audience we are doing well and we have a, we have our small fan base of enthusiastic users developers, technical leads, user product, love it. And then there is, I believe, this massive audience that is not aware of us, uh, could benefit a lot from what we do, but either don't know we exist or need to be convinced to give it a try. Because what we see is that once we get people and teams to try our tech, they tend to um, use it because it's valuable. That's one key consideration. So what we are trying to do, and by no means we are done, is to shape, change our product, our messaging, but also how we build things in a way that it makes it as easy as possible for people to try it out and for developers to understand that we exist and what problems we solve. When it comes to marketing, this means trying to create a message that is making its way through the noise by either uh, making developers interested or curious about something we are doing. And what I, what we are trying to do is to build as much, to give them something as valuable as possible. So I recently, for example, I've been speaking at a dev conference. I, they asked me to do a session on DevSecOps, which um, is a topic that is not 
yet very discussed. And again, I believe this is partly due to the fact that Salesforce is not maybe endorsing this yet. But I, uh, nevertheless, I believe it's important. And so I had this talk. It was a very nice, my first virtual meetup, very nice. I think uh, the feedback was, was very interesting. People liked the talk. And although we had the temptation, I say, of saving this content and, and kind of milk it as much as possible to build more marketing content later on, we just decided, okay, why don't we, you know, share this, let developers see these and, and see if, if it's valuable for them. The content was pretty agnostic to the technology we're building. And a lot of people actually enjoyed it. And I, a lot of people shared it. Uh, I think that's the right approach. So I, we are trying to build uh, marketing based on the idea that we should give a little, something of value to people and try to get noticed by doing that. But of course, it's hard because you need to, it takes a lot of effort to do something that is, you know, good content and well thought and uh, valuable to people, right? So it takes a lot of effort. It does. For the, the stuff that you put out, I, I think is always really high standard and always valuable and you, you learn something. And so I, I think you, you're coming from a, a strong position of, being able to educate a lot of people about the need. That's always quite challenging though, if you have to educate yeah. them about the need before they realize they need your product, it, it slows things down. Because they're, they're yeah. a lot of people, that there's a big audience there, but they don't all know that they need it, but they probably all should be using something or many of them should. So you talked about this idea around being endorsed by Salesforce. Something that has changed a lot in the last few years is a big focus around DevOps, yeah, which kind of you play into. So there is this sweeping movement around DevOps around Salesforce. It didn't really exist two years ago. Or it did, but it was tiny. Salesforce were kind of avoiding it. But now that's coming. Is, is that an opportunity for Clayton? I think it is. Uh, it's, it's a very good point. And that's something that I want. I, I believe it really baffles me about this ecosystem. So it's a... So the DevOps has always been an important point, right? A, a, an important topic. And sometimes I feel that until there is a solution that is ready to be solved, the topic is not discussed and the problem doesn't exist. And then a solution comes in and then it deserves attention. And I think this is a bit, I'm fine with it, but there are a lot of people that, don't seem to they don't seem to get to understand critically that is the case. I don't think there's a huge difference from where we are today versus where we are seven years ago using metadata API and yeah. Bitbucket or some kind of CI to, in terms of like DevOps continuous integration. But now DX enables it. Well, it does make it a bit smoother in places, but it's always possible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, correct. Uh, I agree. I think it, it's true. What has changed, though, that I think is, is good is first that people is, uh, Salesforce is investing in it. So there are teams that are building stuff and, and therefore it's a topic being discussed because there are presentations, there are talks about it, there are demos. And also I think Salesforce is approaching this in the right way. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a guy. I'm just a guy with, 
but I think it's, I like the way they are, in a way, they are, they, they left behind, they, they acknowledge the limitations of their origin, original thinking. They are moving to a repocentric uh, model, which is uh, clearly the, the right thing. And in a way, it was a bold change because it's a big mm-hmm. shift. And they are also changing the way they, the, their model around the building on a platform and also selling uh, developer tool. Uh, tooling. So I think it's the topic is it's definitely an interesting one. It's all about empowering teams shipping faster, which is a big thing for everyone. But and, and I think it's an opportunity. Yes, uh, there is a most people and, and so there are different problems that we solve, right? So what we do at Clayton, we ultimately we review code and give you and give teams ways to build ship better code faster. But in doing that, we are solving some big problems. We solve the problems in the security because most people think about the security on Salesforce and only in the context of the security review. So if you're an ISP, you don't care about security until you care about security the day you have to prepare for security review, and then you stop caring again. And this means that the kind of the, the way people approach this topic, which in my opinion is very important, distorted by the process. Security in reality is very important, especially in this co- context where we have a lot of information, a lot of valuable data that is shifting to the cloud. And that means that this data will eventually become a more interesting target for people trying to get access to to this asset. So security at some point will become relevant. So I believe that there is this gap between what people, so most people see security as just a a, a gate to go through, but in reality it should be broader than that. And I believe that it's a misunderstood and overlooked topic. Uh, We we work with technology businesses and telecommunications businesses who take security very seriously and they pass that down onto their vendors and in that procurement process the depth in which you're subscribing to their practices is is enormous and we're now seeing this on smaller and smaller deals as mid-sized companies are becoming more security aware smaller businesses are becoming more security aware at Percursive, we, we implement ISO 27001, and that impacts everything we're doing, from sales to support to services, product development. And this is all coming together because of legislation around GDPR, the California Privacy Act. All of these privacy acts are enforcing some kind of information security standard within businesses. And part of all of those is secure development and like and thinking about security through the development cycle which is is critical and one of the things that we've found from using clayton is it's also education because while you do code reviews if both the doing both the people doing those code reviews are not aware are not educated then you're both missing it and there are some things that you just miss that clayton finds and, and that, that's a huge part of it but yeah we're, we're really seeing this demand for information security trickle down from like the very large enterprises down to everyone else. So I think it will just get more and more prevalent for more and more customers. 
I believe so. I believe so. And, and there are also considerations about the fact that the language is not secure by default, right? So it's not, it's no one's fault. That was the way it was designed. And because it's so flexible, it means that you can also break things in a bad way, right? It's not, it by no means, and I think it's uh, the platform that Salesforce built is incredible. I, I truly believe, and as an engineer, I am always astonished by the scale and what they built from an engineering standpoint, to me, is something that I truly admire. It's, to be honest, it's, it's incredible. I, I, I don't have any other terms but that. I, it's, I, I believe that for me as an engineer, I, I truly admire that. And so I have a, by no means, I mean to criticize this, the way they designed the language. I think they did a fantastic job and, and they are doing this every day with, with the improvement, the, the challenges they have. They need to evolve the language in a way that keeps the code from 20 years ago still running. It's incredible, but they are doing it very well. Uh, but the security aspect is a consequence, right? So if you give flexibility, you can, and, um, you can open developers and companies to the risk of security flows. And that's why one of the problems we solve, uh, or at least we, are, uh, we want to be very good at, and, and we noticed that. So it's developer, I mean, security is very, even for experienced developers, it's very hard to get it right. And there are reasons for it. Security problems are not obvious, are rarely localized in one point. And so finding them is very tricky. And there are a lot of things to, that one should always look at. So that's uh, by trying to automate this well, we also learned and understand how difficult it is for developers to get it right. So hopefully we are helping teams to worry a bit less about that and keep their focus on building great products. Uh, but of course, I believe it is a big thing and is a team that should, I hope, get more momentum because at the end of the day, there is a lot of data out there. And regardless, the re legislation drive is undeniably valuable and should be protected. And it's, it's possible, especially there are some higher risk settings. When you start having a lot of customization, customer communities, the risk goes up, right? There is it's developers. What we see is that developers tend to be very strong on the performance and the scalability of what they build. So what, there is one thing we do at Clayton. So when we analyze code, we analyze uh, the, what's called the defect density by area. So we look at security, we have a bunch of checks we perform, and we look at how many lines of code are problematic versus the total. So we come up with a number that is the defect density. Let's say it's one problem every 250 lines, right, on average. And we do these things also with, with other aspects that we monitor. So for example, we do this for the testing, we do this for the, the scalability, the large data volumes, the amount of clutter we found. And there is this, always this picture time and time again. We always find this scalability, very low density. So the developers clearly are doing this very well. They're well-educated, the message is strong. Everyone tends to do their code. Security is 10 times messier. So the average, I don't have the average with me. I think it's an average, I, I, I would say at least six times, if not 10 times more common 
to make security uh, more frequent to make a security mistake than it is to make a scalability mistake. And it's incredible, uh, but it's also very true. There's this feeling that when you're in Salesforce, you're safe. Something that I always think about, that always bugs me as I've thought about security more, is you look at apps on the App Exchange and they'll say we're, we're native to, like you say, security, we're native to Salesforce, as if it's like a complete get-out-of-jail-free card. It's like, well, yeah. it helps. It definitely helps. But it doesn't mean you can completely not think about it at all, which I think a lot of people do. People are just like, we're native, we've solved that problem. Yeah. Um, and even when you're native, that there's actually it introduces a lot as well because suddenly you've got visibility of all of their data. Yeah. You know, it introduces huge issues too. I see a lot of SaaS companies, pretty big ones in fact, who like, because we've implemented ISO 27001, we look at this when we're at our vendors, like what are their security certifications? Yeah. And I notice a lot of them say, we basically we've got none, but we're on AWS and they do some stuff. Completely missing the point about information security is all about because you're you like every line of code you're writing is like creating potential vulnerabilities. You're configuring AWS. <laughs> like when you hear about all of these um, AWS breaches, it's very rarely Amazon's fault. It's yep. the person configuring. Like yep. a lot of people miss the point on their own responsibility when it comes to, to, to security. And I think the potential risk is enormous. For, for a business. Not because they're going to target you, but they're going to look at your customer and target them through you. you know, yeah. so that's the risk. So coming back to your marketing, is this something that you're looking to educate people about? Is that the goal? I think we would like to do so. Yes, as much as possible. So we, uh, again, this goes back to what it means being a founder and what it means to learn as you go. So we are, so what, by building a product, by winning our customers, by, we learned that we solve a big problem for them. But we also learned that the vast majority of people that will be needing what we do are not even aware they have a problem. Mm-hmm. So there is this need for education. And one of the challenges that were, that I was, um, mentioning earlier about this ecosystem is that until there is a point that we haven't reached yet where the education and the awareness of this type of problems is very low. And it, it's a shame because I believe it should be higher. Um, so there is, I guess, going back to marketing, I believe that educate, educating is something that we would like to uh, do more, but it's not just the marketing. It's also how we shape our product. We are uh, considering building changing our model in a way that it's easier for people to try out and understand, assess their orgs, assess their implementation before buying our services and try to give them ways to understand how they're doing and if they have a problem uh, before, before we engage further. Something that is a barrier for us is that we need to convince an admin to install package in the, in the sacred land of the Salesforce org. Yeah. So that creates procurement, even in the smallest of companies. <laughs> we have to like bring the Salesforce admin in, convince them, talk to them, like ease their concerns, let yeah. them know that they can trust us, yeah. you get installed. So we could never look at distribution patterns like 
you know, Dropbox is a classic example of this bottom-up distribution. We can't do that. It's just not possible for like two users to yep. start using us. They have to get their admin team on board. What you have an opportunity for is to say a development team can start using it individually, but then if the company or the manager or what is it that I think about how, how we use Clayton, like, like developers could use it individually and they could get their own notifications. That, some, that adds value to us. That's helpful. But actually the real value comes from what's the team doing and what's our code base looking like overall. So like looking at ways that you could say, create, how do you create some value for an individual? And then you could roll out through that whole team. All those people are using it. They're getting their, they're getting code reviews on everything that they're committing. Boom, boom, boom. I'm, I'm, I'm now becoming a superstar developer because Clayton's on my, Clayton's got my back for every commit that I've got or every pull request. Yeah. Yeah. And then the manager saying, oh, whatever he's doing is great. How do I bring that across every, everyone else? And, oh, I want to now see this across my whole team and see defect rate for all our different projects and whatever it would be. Yeah. And because you're, you're not a managed package and actually signing up for Clayton is pretty easy. You just log in with your Bitbucket, GitHub or whatever, and it's pretty much there. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a huge opportunity to explore. I think it's always like freemium or free tiers or low tiers. Like it's, I find it fascinating. I get really into it, but it's really difficult to, you just got to try it because you don't yeah. know what's right, but you've got to have this idea of how do we get out there? What's the barrier for people using us? Cause people like, if you tell people about Clayton, like, Oh, that sounds really cool. It's like, well, is it, is it free cool? Is it five bucks a month cool? Is it 200 bucks a month cool? Is it 10,000 bucks a month cool? Like how cool yeah. is it? Um, yeah. And they might be like, to me, it's five bucks or zero bucks for cool. But once there's enough groundswell of people on our team, my yeah. boss might think it's 10 grand cool. Yeah. Like that, like, so it's thinking about like, what makes Clayton valuable to the different people. We keep going back to this and it's, I believe, getting your pricing, your journey right when you have a lot of options mm. is probably, I mean, there are bigger opportunities, but it's also, it's easier to not get it right just because you have all the options in the world. In a way, you cannot get right when you have only, I love, you know, you go to the place and you have only five pizzas on the menu. I mean, that's it. That's an easy call. But when you have when you have a lot of options, getting the right decision and and the right approach, you can get lost into it very easily. So it's one of the challenges we have. I believe I agree. It's also an opportunity. We are scratching the surface now of of things that we want to do to make it easier for people to try and get some value for free. So we are, I'll tell you what we're doing now. We are building this new functionality, which is around assessment. So mm -hmm. the idea is that you can build an assessment. You can launch an assessment and we will tell you some things for free. And, and the, the hope, we still don't have enough data to tell if this is going to work, but we definitely want to give some value and we want people to understand. And also we want to be very candid on telling them you have a problem or you don't need us. Because sometimes I also like when products are not trying to sell at all costs. 
sometimes we scan orgs and they're fine. And there is nothing particularly serious about what they're doing. And therefore I want for these people to be getting the full value. And I want to be candid in saying, hey, you don't need to pay us. You're doing good. You're doing yeah. well yeah. on your own. So I would like to be that. I would like us to build a product that is perceived that way. You, uh, you, pay, by the, you pay by the defect. <laughs> you pay, okay, we thought about it. We, we thought about yeah. different models. We thought about, wait, can we make people pay by the fix? Yeah. And we make people, it's a, there are so many options. That's what I meant. There are so many possibilities that yeah. could be explored that, um, that it's definitely fascinating to say the least. But yeah, going back to getting this right, I, I am a big fan of making it easier for people to try it. And I think we have a lot of work to do. We are not by any means where I would like us to be, but I believe we are, there are a lot of things that we need to get right, but I believe we are doing them. So, uh, for example, going freemium is not just by lowering a, pay, a paywall. It's also about getting the infrastructure so that your paying customers don't take the hit. If yeah. a lot of people start using the product for free, they don't suddenly experience lower latencies, lower performances, or you don't want that to happen. There, are, there is work we are doing to go in that direction, but I believe it's a journey rather than a switch, you switch. But yeah, we're very intrigued by this. We would like to encourage as much as possible people to just give it a try, see if it's valuable for you, if you can learn something. And of course, charge the right amount, something that is fair. Because sometimes we scan an org and it's just a few thousand lines of code. It's not, it's not a big deal. And we don't feel like charging. We shouldn't be charging anything. But some, sometimes we, we scan millions and millions of lines of code. And there we are saving maybe weeks, if not months, of consulting fees to get the, the same job done. And, and we do the same job in 30 minutes. So I believe it's, it's, this should be reflected in, in the way we price things. And, and therefore, this is an even bigger challenge, right? So there are a lot of options to play with. Uh, pricing, I think, is a very important topic and also one of the most challenging for founders, for technical founders, especially if you're doing something that is new. And if you are if you are following a path of something that is already established, if you have competitors and you're just doing things differently, you can still, it's, the category is already there. People are used to buy things in that way. It's easier. Uh, while if you're building something new, and I, that's what I feel uh, for us, we are trying to, we want to build something, but we also want it to be priced well so that, for example, if you run a lot of projects, if you're a consulting business, you should also be able to use us. And that makes it harder and harder to get a price in the works for everyone. For, for me, it's a big challenge. It's something that I like to experiment. We have, a, we have some opinions, but we would like to get better. And I, by, by the way, I love talking about this stuff. So sorry if I go too, too long on this answer. Uh, but I definitely believe that it's a big point get this right is so important so critical but also so challenging sometimes that it deserves a lot of attention for sure we've talked about some of the things that you're doing to clayton around i, I wouldn't necessarily call it pricing it's like 
for, for me, with pricing, there's when do you start charging and then how much you charge. Free doesn't yeah. count as one of the pricing levels. We start charging it here, which is yeah. changing when we start charging and then yeah. charge whatever the hell you want after that. What, what other areas are you focused on? The way I spend time, so there are these aspects that I look after. Uh, so we are a small team. We are currently five people. So I do a little bit of everything. I do the product. I, 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 I follow product. I follow sales. I follow marketing. I follow customer success. And I follow operations. Right? A little bit of this. Products is where... Of course, I am less involved with the, the details. I am not coding any much. I'm not coding much anymore, although sometimes I do. That's an interesting uh, conversation probably on <laughs> whether should I do it or not. And I fall far of this as well. <laughs> I don't, I don't you do it. Start yeah. doing something, get distracted and have to hand yeah, over. You, <laughs> always, you will always hear this. You shouldn't. Code. If you run a company, if you run a team, you shouldn't code. Oh, I disagree. I think you should, but you just should. Pick, pick what you're doing wisely. Don't do it with, you know, whatever you pick up is going to get, you're so never going to finish it. <laughs> so there are, so there are, so on this, on pro, product is hard. Prioritizing product features is even harder. The way I see this is that you should choose one or two things that you want to excel at you want to have two things three very few things that you do better than anyone else in the world and for us this is the engine and the um git integrations right that's what we want to be absolutely the best yep engine like the experience you mean like the experience for the developer or that's a big area but yeah. yes, that's the idea, right? The developer experience for us today is, starts with the Git integration. For those that don't know what we do, the key idea of Clayton is that we automatically review the code, the developers, but instead of asking developers to change the way their process or running things locally, installing plugins in their IDE, we put these checks in the repo. So that's the source of truth for us. Uh, the check-in time is when we start our analysis. And uh, we're, what we want to do is we want to replace the need for a human for all the obvious stuff. And therefore, integrating well into GitHub or all the other version control system is crucial for us. So that's one so, so thing yeah, that so, we so want so to do you create a pull request, Clayton sees that, scans it, pops a comment on the pull request saying, congrats, yeah. it's all good, yeah. or... There are a couple of issues. Yeah. And what I love is also it puts them in line as well. So you got like a comment in line on the I issue. wanted, to be honest, yeah. I, I, that was my job for a long time. I was the guy doing that. Yeah. And I, I, at some point, I, I was frustrated because on one hand, it's very important to do it. But on the other hand, it's always the same stuff that there, there, I had this long checklist of things I would check for. And some of these things weren't possible to automate with existing tools because of whatever, re there are many reasons that are technical. Sometimes you have checks that you need to look at many files at once and, and linters or PMD don't do that. Sometimes you have to look for vulnerable libraries that are bundled inside the, the, static pack, the, the, the resource bundles. 
So you need to do that manually, check Z, retire JS or other databases for vulnerability. So I wanted to, to automate this stuff. It, it seemed to me very easy to automate because it was always the same, but all, all, at the same time was hard yeah. because of the challenges involved engineering wise. That's what got me started. What I wanted was a tool that could take care of all this stuff so that at the point of the review, I could have a meaningful conversation with the other developers. And there was no option to, to do this well, at least no option I was satisfied with. So that's how it started. But yeah, that's the idea. So we started with the, with the Git integration and that's one of the things we want to, to nail. Getting that right for us is important and the engine is the other thing. So the way we do the, scan, the scanning technology, we want it to be more precise than any, anything else. Uh, so that means higher, highest possible precision, which basically is the, the, the true positive rate and the lowest possible noise, which means lowest possible false positive rate. So that's how I approach it, to, to, to be honest. It's a maximization problem for us. Mm. It, we look at, it's not about writing as many rules as we can, it's about writing only a few rules, but make them super precise and iterating relentlessly on that. So that's how we see it, that's what, what, what we care about. And going back to my involvement in product, that's two things I care a lot about. So whenever we need to add a new capability to the engine or create a new part of the architecture of how we scan the code, I tend to be the one that starts the development just because I want that to be designed. And, I want, and then my team is amazing at making it stable, making it production ready. But the, the initial design is, is the inception of the functionality, the design of it, it's something that I still want to be involved with. But apart from that, I, sh I, I try to be less involved with the details of coding. And so we are now, for example, we are now at the point where there are things that our customers want us to do and we want to do, but we are limited by how we designed the data architecture before. So we, for every product you design, you do an MVP and then you iterate on it. And we reached the point where this worked well for a lot of time, but we now reach the point where there are fundamental changes we need to make to improve on some important aspects for us, right? So you need to go back and rebuild and redesign something. And that's of course something that I am involved with. So I work with my team in designing, refining architectural aspects of the product. And it's not because I want to do it my way, it's just because I am aware of where um, we want to be six, 12 months down the line. And the product team, especially the engineering team, might not have the full picture yet. So we want them to focus on what they're building, not worry too much about what's not there yet. That's why I feel it's important for me to be involved in some of these aspects. But the rest, I think it's, uh, it's very important to build an organization where the principles are clear and the, the engineering team works the way they do and you trust them. Pro product is, is one of the areas that I, I care a lot about, but also I need to try and do my best to stay out of at the same time. And then there are other things like sales, marketing, customer success, operations. These are things I do. I try and split my, 
weekly diary evenly, but of course it's, things pop up and you have to you know, just, just react. So finding the right discipline for me is hard, but I love the challenge, to be honest. So I, I like learning. I enjoy that. So leaving my learning how to do sales, learning how to do marketing, learning how to do customer success. It's all about going out there, learn the lessons, read the books. I love it. Starting a business allows you to learn so much about sales, marketing, customer success, product, and also expanding your experience in development and architecture of your own product as well. Do you ever look back and think, oh, why did, I, why did I do this? <laughs> never, never. <laughs> so it's, uh, I hope I won't be forced to do it because of course, like every entrepreneur, there is always a risk that what you're building is not going to take off, not going to scale. At some point will eventually break. Someone will come and run you out of business. You know, there are always these very real risks. But even if one of these scenarios happen, I think I will never regret having made the leap and having started this because of how much I enjoy and also, I hope the people working with me and are enjoying the journey. I don't know. It's, it's very hard to describe the feeling of waking up and caring so deeply about what you do. It, for me, it's something that I had lost in my career. It's no one's fault, right? It's just simply that you work for someone else. So for as much as passion you can put in what you do, as much craftsmanship, as much care, never nothing compares to building your thing nothing and so that's something that i love about doing what, what i do every day